So Jesus, we ask that you help us to understand that, apply it to our lives, know what it means for us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hello, 945. Good to see all of you here. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Last month during the NCAA uh, basketball tournament, uh, Texas A&M played Northern Iowa, and some of you know this game, right? And and by the end, Texas was down 12 points with only 44 seconds left in the game. So impossible deficit to overcome, right? The arena was almost empty because so many people had left. The Texas fans that were watching on television had just turned it off because it was just too painful, too difficult. But many of you know those fans missed out on one of the greatest comebacks in tournament history because Texas went on to win it uh, in double overtime. In fact, when the Texas player stole a pass with one second left and tied the game to go into overtime, all the remaining fans were cheering and yelling and all that, his parents had already left the stadium. Like, how's that for parent guilt, right? Like, Mom, Dad, did you see my shot? No, but we missed traffic. So all of those fans who were not willing to sacrifice a little bit of time, a little bit of emotional pain, they missed out on something really cool. That's kind of the theme for this sermon. Let me ask you this question. How are you making sacrifices? Because sometimes I am not so good at making sacrifices, even though I know, as do you, that sacrifice often leads to a bigger, richer, deeper reward. And I think part of the problem is we don't really understand that word and what it means and what it's all about. We hear sacrifice and we think it's got to be some huge, major, painful ordeal. Not always. Not always. Here's a definition I want to use for sacrifice. Sacrifice is giving up some things so that better things can happen. To give up some things so that better things can happen. And often, it is the small sacrifices that can make a very big difference. And for us to have a bigger, more adventurous life, a more tangible, real experience of Jesus, to have deeper friendships, and to be part of healing our culture, we're going to have to sacrifice sometimes. And many of you are already doing this. So thank you. This sermon is a way of saying, well done, keep it up. We're in this sermon series called Movement to Heal a Culture. Because I really do believe that we are one of the churches that can help bring Jesus' healing to the east side and beyond. And that is very good news because there's an awful lot in our culture that needs healed right now, isn't there? And we have said in this series that three times in history, there have been Christian movements that have changed entire cultures for the better. So history gives us reasons to hope. Just brief review. Right first, during the Roman Empire, Europe was gradually Christianized. Second, after the fall of Rome, when Europe had, was occupied with pagan tribes, Christians re-Christianized Europe again. And both times when that happened, things like gladiator games, slavery, human sacrifice, all the bad stuff, it disappeared. And the culture healed as more and more people began to live the Jesus way of life. And similar things are happening today in China, Africa, and Latin America. Cultures are being healed as people live the Jesus way of life. So how did they do that? That's what we're asking in this sermon series. How did they transform culture? Well, it wasn't by passing laws. It wasn't by forcing people to convert. No, no, it was this. Christians did things like they cared for the sick and the poor. They reconciled races. They showed courage in the face of persecution and a whole lot of other stuff. In other words, they sacrificed to serve others. And their sacrificial living attracted more and more people, and the culture healed as those people began to follow the Jesus way of life. Sacrifice heals culture. 
So here's the formula for cultural healing. It's been historically proven to work over and over again. Here's the formula. Christians living radically different lives of sacrifice, courage, and service to others, wherever God has put you, school, office, neighborhood, sacrificial living heals culture because people are brought in and start living the Jesus way of life. And often it's the small little ones. You don't, don't be thinking, oh, great, now i got to sell my kids and all that. No, you know, it's just... No, it's often the, I mean, I meant to say sell your house. But anyway, uh, <laughs> maybe kids, I don't know. But, you know, no, that's not necessarily it. Sometimes it's the little things, right? I told you a few weeks ago about a receptionist who simply said to a depressed woman, listened to a depressed woman for just a few minutes and then said, God loves you and I'll pray for you. And that, for that woman, was huge felt cared about. It started her on a journey that led her out of her depression and to experience Jesus from that small sacrifice of time. See, sacrifice releases God's power to change things. Sacrifice releases God's power to bring change. And it's not an event. It's more of a lifestyle, looking for opportunities to be God's hands and feet wherever he has put us. And I think this is so important in our culture that Christians do this. Because, you know, we live in a culture where celebrities are paid a whole lot of money to advertise products that they may or may not use. And I think a lot of people start wondering, like, do you really use that deodorant? Or are you just a paid propagandist for the brand? And I think they wonder the same thing about Christians. Like, not the deodorant, but the, I mean, maybe the deodorant. But, you know, that, that, like, you know are you, do you really walk your talk, Christians? Or are you just propagandists for a brand? But when we sacrifice, then they know it's real in us. And that attracts people. And then the culture starts to heal one by one. Now, the only problem with sacrifice is it requires sacrifice. Right? That's the problem with it, right? And, and we are a what's-in-it-for-me culture, aren't we? And often what we do is we use others to get what we want rather than sacrifice for them. I, I just saw a bumper sticker uh, a while back. It said, if you love somebody, set them free. And if they come back, it means nobody else loved them either, so set them free again. <laughs> like, that's kind of our culture, right? I thought that was hilarious. Thank you over here. This section thought it was funny. I just thought it was really funny. Um, shows that I mean, right? That, that's our culture. Not, that's not sacrifice, right? That's where we're at. And I struggle with sacrifice. Maybe you do too, which is why I love the Apostle Peter in this story today. Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Not because rich people are bad, but because the more power, privilege, and prestige you have, the harder it is to give those things up for something better. And I love Peter's response, especially in the Gospel of Matthew's version of this story. He says, Lord, we have left everything to follow you, so what will we get? And I just love that's so honest, right? Like, what about me, Jesus? What about my needs? Why don't you think about me for a change, Jesus, huh? Me, me, me. Jesus, did I mention me? And you can kind of see the other apostles going, Peter, dude, you're outside voice. Like, stop, stop. You did it again, Peter. And then Jesus says, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the good news will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, not just heaven, right here, right now, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, interesting, persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. In other words, there are some huge costs when we sacrifice, but some of the ROI, the return on investment, is amazing. Here are just a few of the rewards we get when we sacrifice. Life-giving relationship. 
It might sound a little strange to you when Jesus says that, you know, we get a hundred times more brothers, sisters, mother, children. Some of you are like, I don't want a hundred children. Like, no, 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 no. Right? But the point is relationship. Right? When we sacrifice for one another, our relationship goes deeper. We also experience God's power and presence. Let's say, for instance, you give money away for God's purposes, and then you see God provide. You experience that God is real. We get to be part of a movement that heals a culture, and wouldn't that feel good? And we become the people deep down we really want to be, and that feels really good. One of the college students I mentored when I lived in California had a goal to be a senior pastor of a large church by the time he was 30. And so after seminary, he got a job at a church on the beach in Southern California as a youth pastor, and he decided to suffer for Jesus and take the job because surfers need Jesus too, right? Well, he'd been dating a woman on the East Coast who had just graduated from college, and she wasn't really sure she wanted to move to California and get married and all of that stuff, so he flew her out to convince her, and it worked. She said, take the job, I'll move to California. So he took it. A few days later, he called me and he said, I think I pressured her into moving. And I'm supposed to be the guy that helps her become everything she was created to be. I don't think I did that. I think I pressured her to say yes to coming to California. So I think I have to call this church back and tell them that I can't take the job. But it's awkward because they've already told everyone that I'm coming. And they said, is that okay? Like, does anyone ever do that? And I said, no, nobody ever does that, right? Like, it's weird. And he said, well, I think I have to. I think I have to do it anyway, because even if this hurts my career, because this isn't about whether I marry her or not, this isn't about what jobs I have or not, this is about the kind of man that I'm going to be, and it's not good enough for me to be the kind of man who would have sacrificed for the woman he loves. I need to be the man who did. And I started to cry. And I said, I have never been more proud of you than right now in this moment. So he told the church that he wasn't coming. He moved to Atlanta where she lived, and then... She broke up with him. <laughs> I know, right? And then he ended up working in this lousy job that had nothing to do with his career. And I remember asking him, still think you did the right thing? And he said, yep, because I'm the man that did. And then years later, years, years later, they got back together. Now they're married. He discovered the church he turned down had some major horrible issues, so he dodged a bullet. And he's now senior pastor of a big church. Now, all that took years. And it wasn't his reward for the sacrifice. The reward was he's the kind of man who did. He's got that the rest of his life. So to be the men and women we want to be, as well as to participate with Jesus to heal our culture, sometimes we're going to need to sacrifice. We don't seek it, but if we're following Jesus, it'll come our way. So how do we do it? Because it's really hard, right? Well, Jesus says, with humans, this is impossible. But all things are possible with God. In other words, only the Holy Spirit can help us do this. So here's your homework for this week. Coming a little early in the sermon, here's your homework for this week. Pray these three, three prayers. Jesus, rescue me, give me, teach me. First, rescue me from the prison of my small ambitions. Right after the text we read today, Jesus says, The Son of Man will be delivered to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. What do you think the disciples said in response to that? Very next verse, it says, Then James and John came to him. Teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. Serious? Like Jesus says, I'm going to die this horrible death to redeem the world. And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But could I be like your vice messiah? Because that'd be cool. At the very next verse, there's not even like a verse in between for appearance's sake. They are so confined 
to the prison of their small ambitions. They can't see the bigger thing that God is doing all around them. <clears throat> and then I do this all the time. This year, I really struggled to write the Easter sermon. I, I think it turned out okay, so you don't need to, like, comfort me or anything. But, but, but the process of getting there this year, man, it was just excruciating. And when I finally had the first draft of the sermon written, I said to my wife, well, I know it's the worst Easter sermon I've ever written, and it might be the, ver the worst sermon I've ever written. And she said, well, good to get it over with. <laughs> like, pastoral care is so not her gift. <laughs> right? it, it's actually what I love about her. Man up, you little sissy. I mean, it's like... Now, now, part of why I was stressed out is because I really want God's word to be rightly preached. Yes, that's part of why I was stressed out. But let's be honest, part of it was about me, right? Because I know that on Easter, a lot of you bring relatives that don't normally go to church, and you want them to have a good experience. And I just didn't like the thought of you all on Easter afternoon saying, sorry we brought you to church today, Grandma. Like, he normally doesn't suck that bad. Prison of my small ambitions. See, we're all sacrificing for something. Question is, for what? Right? We're all sacrificing for something. Question is, for, some of us are making sacrifices for our kids. And some of those are legit, but let's be honest, some of those have a whole lot more to do with us and our agenda than our kids. <clears throat> some of us are making sacrifices for our reputations or our careers or money, but those things don't give lasting joy. Jesus says, since you're in the sacrificing business anyway, why don't you sacrifice to a different God and a bigger cause? Namely, the kingdom of God, which isn't just heaven. The kingdom of God always means heaven coming here. <clears throat> so that relationships, joy, meaning, purpose, reconciliation, justice, righteousness happens here on earth as it does in heaven. So Lord, free me from the prison of my small ambitions. Get me into your bigger rescue mission so that my life is about more than just the confines of me and mine. Because that is a prison of stress and obligation. Second prayer. Lord, give me divine discontent. Give me divine discontent. See, churches usually start with a bold vision to heal the culture, to change the world. But then over time, gradually, they get concerned with buildings and programs and things like that, and the passion just dies. May it never be for us, Bell Press. Corporately or individually, may it never be that way for us. So Jesus, give me divine discontent so that the things that bring a tear to your eye and cause you to pound your fist on the table do the same thing for me. Because it's not okay that kids go to bed hungry. It's not okay that marriages fall apart. It's not okay that youth in our community are overstressed and overpressured. It's not okay because Jesus can heal all of those things. For instance, there are all kinds of causes to poverty. Structural, structures in society that make it hard to achieve if you don't have certain advantages and privileges like good schools. Psychological factors that demotivate the poor. But when Jesus really takes hold of people's lives, then those with power and wealth start to think, wait a minute, I have been blessed to be a blessing, to give others a hand up, not a hand out. And when poor folks get Jesus and realize how loved they are by God, it motivates them to persevere. And God's people get creative and start finding solutions. For instance, as we did with the Jubilee Reach, which this church started, and those after-school programs that emphasize character, perseverance, all of that. And I've told you before, the data shows a lot of students get involved in those programs. They end up with higher test scores, better grades. They get out of gangs, all of which is a pathway out of poverty. Bell Press, you're making that happen. Thank you. More of that. Jesus, give us divine discontent that the things that are don't have to be with you. 
Because when we see what Jesus can do, we joyfully sacrifice because we see the purpose, the cause, the payoff. Rescue me, give me, and then finally, Jesus, teach me to expect your greater reward because when we sacrifice, there is always a greater reward. A couple weeks ago, my family and I went on vacation with my, with my parents, and on the last day, my mom was having some age-related health and mobility issues, and she's much better now. She's fine now, but for a day or two, it was, it was kind of bad, and at one point, I was helping my mom, and I was thinking, you know what? This is just part of life. We, we all get here. I'm going to be here. I'm, we all get older. I'm going to be there someday, too, and right about then, I, I noticed that my kids were watching, and I thought, set a good example, right? Because if I do this well, if I do this right... Not only am I caring for my mom, which I want to do because she cared for me and I love her, right? But there's also a future reward because my kids will respond in kind. Same with sacrifice. There is, there are always, there's always a reward. Some of those that I listed earlier, relationships, meaning, purpose, getting to be part of healing a culture. Pastor Hugh Halter <clears throat> tells a story of how his uh, two teenage daughters had a friend who was killed in a car wreck after a party. And so coming out of that, they said, we're going to go to every party we can just to try to be a good influence and calm some of the craziness and some of the drinking down. And they got two other friends to join them and started to go to parties with them just to be a positive influence. And it worked. In fact, parents started to not let their kids go to a party unless Hugh's daughters were going to be at that party. Right? So some of you right now are thinking, I like this story. I think God's calling me to party too. That's my ministry. Right? <laughs> Maybe. Well, one night they were at a party that got, things got out of control in, in spite of their influence, and one of their friends got in an argument with her boyfriend, who was very drunk, and he hit her. So one of Hugh's daughters stepped in to protect the friend, and Hugh's daughters play hockey, so they're really tough, and, but, but this daughter, she had some, uh, a couple of head injuries before, and the doctor said one more, and she can't play hockey anymore, and she was hoping for a scholarship, so this was a big deal. Well, when she stepped in to help, the boyfriend shoved her, shoved her, and she hit her head against the wall, and she got hurt. Well, when Hugh found out about this, he was understandably furious, so he stormed out of that house, right, to go find the boy and his parents, but a couple blocks down, he remembered, wait, I don't know where he lives. So he called his daughter and said, you know, where does he live? And daughter said, I'm not going to tell you. Come home. And Hugh said, I'm just going to talk to him. Really, I'm just going to talk to him. His daughter's like, yeah, right. You sound like you're just going to talk to him, <laughs> right? Come home. She said, he need, this, this boy, he needs to be held accountable, but this is not the way. So he came home, still mad, and his daughter said, Dad, you always have taught us to follow Jesus, right? And you've said that part of that is protecting the defenseless and being a peacemaker, right? Well, you don't think that always works out, do you? Like, there's a cost, isn't there? Now, that boy needs to be held accountable, and that girl needs out of that relationship, and all of that happened. But for Hugh, he said it was one of his proudest moments as a dad. Now, that's not the kind of story I'm supposed to tell in a sermon, right? Not a, not a happy enough ending, right? I'm, it's, a sermon story is supposed to say things like, and because of her sacrifice, 50 people became Christian, and then one of them paid her way to college out of gratitude, and someone gave her a puppy, and, and then someone else adopted her cat because she wasn't thrilled with the cat, but she loved the puppy, right? Like, there's no happy ending like that. Or isn't there? Or isn't there? I mean... There's his daughter's character. Pretty freaking cool, right? Plus a whole lot of folks saw her courage and they know her Lord and they know her Savior and who knows how that will affect them over time. And his daughter isn't the kind of woman who would defend someone. She's the kind of woman who did. Character was built. A little bit of up there came down here. A little bit of culture healing happened and a friend was rescued because she sacrificed. This picture 
hangs in my office. It's some of the first kids who went to the Center for Champions that this church, you all, sacrificed time and money to build in Rwanda. And they were living on the streets, but because of you guys, they got, a, they got job training, they heard about Jesus, they were given a chance at a better life. Some of them might have died, literally, if it hadn't been for the sacrifices y'all made. And I remember when we were doing the campaign for this and raising the money, and, and many of you sacrificed all the way down to things like giving up lattes so that you could give more money to these kids. My wife and I opted for fewer and cheaper vacations so that we could give away more money. My wife bought a cookbook called Miserly Moms that had a recipe for tofu spaghetti sauce so that we could save money and give it away. We postponed saving for our kids' college and for our retirement, and now we're having to play catch-up on all of that. But when I look at this picture, I don't mind. I don't regret it at all, except for the tofu spaghetti. That I regret. But <laughs> everything else is good. Some people at University Presbyterian Church sacrificed so that there could be a college ministry there that completely turned my world upside down. I think of you who have sacrificed more recently to establish homes for teens who need those homes or to mentor, or to tutor. Some of you drive people to church who can't get here on their own. That's a, a sacrifice you make, and you have said that the reward for that is, is the relationship you get with those people. And you are part of bringing up there down here. And the devil is so mad at you right now. The devil is so mad at you right now because you are just putting a dent in his plans. Because of your sacrifice, culture is healing one by one. So thank you, well done, and keep it up. And where else might God be asking you even a small sacrifice in your school, office, neighborhood to be part of the making new of all things and so that you can be the person you want to be and be part of healing our culture? Maybe it's just to start by praying those three prayers, rescue me from my small ambitions, give me divine discontent, teach me to expect your greater reward. Because, see, you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. And as it turns out, you can't have adventure and comfort at the same time, you're going to have to pick. And what I see in our culture right now is often, rather than sacrificing to bring God's kingdom, Christians sometimes want to take the easy way out. If we only elect this person or that person or get the right Supreme Court, then our culture will be fixed. And yes, we need Christians in politics like we need them everywhere else. But historically speaking, the only way that has proven to heal culture over time is when Christians sacrifice to serve others and bring up their down here. It happened in Rome, happened after the fall of Rome, happening now in China, Africa, and in Latin America. But but instead today we see a whole bunch of Christians in the public square screaming about our rights. And yes, there is a place for that in our democracy and a reason for that in our democracy. But that's, not, that's, what, that's what we're known for. Just one more self-interest group in the world of American politics. That's not how culture heals. The constant temptation of Jesus was to skip the cross, but that would never have shown his power to conquer sin and death. No cross, no resurrection. And a faith that asks nothing, risks nothing, costs nothing, yields nothing. Jesus sacrificed for us, and that's what makes us whole. His sacrifice makes us whole. Sacrifice makes things whole. And our culture is not going to be healed if we just force Starbucks employees to say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. Talk about small ambitions, man. No, the kingdom of God comes when the people of God double down on Jesus and the way of his cross, knowing and trusting that every cross is followed by a resurrection, every loss has a corresponding gain, every sacrifice rebounds to a bigger, richer, deeper life. And I know you, Bell Press, and I know your heart, and I know that you want to be there when the making new of all things busts out all over the east side and beyond. 
And it's school by school, person by person, office by office, town by town. We give and forgive and love and serve. And people are partly turned off by and yet strangely attracted to this Jesus way of life. And as more of them join the Jesus way of life, little by little, the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. So what do you say, Bell Press? Let's be part of a revolution. So Jesus, give us courage, give us hope to sacrifice when it is called for, to be the people we want to be, and to help bring your kingdom here and heal this culture through the power of your Holy Spirit. Do this, and we will point to you as the author of all good things. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.